You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Last week I explained that it's my desire to walk very intentionally and carefully through the Lord's Prayer in an effort to make sure that we all know precisely what Jesus is teaching us so that we will avoid both the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the meaningless repetition of the Gentiles. Of course, my ultimate aim goes way beyond offering you correct information about this text. My ultimate aim is that your heart will be captivated by the truth of this text. My hope is that your affections for King Jesus and your love for his kingdom will deepen and you will be compelled to act in response to this text, to pray fervently, but to understand fully what you are praying. My hope is that this extended look at the Lord's Prayer will give way to a church marked by sincere and thoughtful communion with God that God might shape us into a community of faith marked by prayer. As I did last week, I want to invite you all again to read the Lord's Prayer out loud with me. The version I'm reading will be on the screens behind me so you can read along with me. So please join me and let's begin with verse 9 and read aloud through verse 13. Verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our primary focus last week and to begin this week is to really wrap our heads around that very important phrase, your kingdom come. And then by the end of our time this morning, we'll get through the end of verse 10. So to review quickly, remember the nature of the kingdom of God and remember that there is an already and not yet reality to this kingdom. Yes, the kingdom has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the kingdom is yet to come in its fullness. This will happen when Christ returns. Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us here. He writes, and I, I shared this last week. The kingdom of God is among you and within you. Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God is in every true Christian and therefore in the church. It means the reign of God, the reign of Christ. And Christ is reigning today in every true Christian. He reigns in the church when she acknowledges him truly. The kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is yet to come. So friends, when we talk about God's kingdom in this sense, we are talking about God's sovereign action towards sinners in sending his son to die as a willing substitute and then to be raised victorious over sin and death. Through Christ, God is saving his church 
made up of redeemed men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Right now, in Christ, God's kingdom exists and his rule is real in the hearts and lives of his people. So when Jesus instructs us to pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for at least four things. That the gospel will be preached boldly, that the gospel will be displayed publicly, that Jesus Christ will be worshipped globally, that ultimately God will reign perfectly. So last week we covered the first two of these. John mentioned them in his prayer. Today we pick up with the third. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying that Jesus Christ will be worshipped globally. Remember when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the success of the gospel. We are a people jealous for the fame of Jesus Christ and we long for the God of heaven to be revered and worshiped by all people. We don't think there's any other God, any other savior that deserves the worship of all people. Jesus alone deserves the worship of all people. In fact, what did the prophet Isaiah say about God's own desire? We find this in Isaiah 12 and verse four, to make known his deeds among the peoples and to proclaim that his name is exalted. What did Paul write about God's own glorious mission working out through Paul and others in Romans one and verse five, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among the nations. So friends, when Jesus instructs us to pray for God's kingdom to come, he is inviting us to align our hearts and our desires with God's heart and his desires. And this will never happen. This will never happen if we fail to understand that God is a missionary God with a missionary goal. God is a missionary God with a missionary goal. You see, through creation itself and through his covenants, God's aim was that all peoples would worship him. One theologian writes, God's desire to bless all the nations to the praise of his glory is the golden thread weaving its way through the scriptures. The nations are in view in the Abrahamic covenant, the promise and coming of the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission, and the nations are finally gathered around the throne in Revelation 7. This connects all of Scripture. Again, the Lord's Prayer, as we talked about last week, the Lord's Prayer is a call for us to go back to the basics, to return to the fundamental truths of our faith, and to remember the missionary heart of God. For those familiar with the Bible, and that includes many of you, it includes me, it's easy to look right past this incredible reality. Consider John 3.16. Have you ever heard of that verse? A verse almost everyone has some familiarity with. For God loved the world in this way. He gave 
his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. First John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God loved, so he sent. He sent the perfect missionary, his son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, it is this reality that compels us to give to someone else what we have received by grace. Listen, it is the heart of God. It is the heart of God that keeps us from hoarding the gospel of grace. Keeping it to ourselves and never sharing it. That doesn't make any sense at all. I said last week that when we cry out to God, your kingdom come, this is not simply a request we pray for. It is a work we engage in. We are asking God to do something in us. If God's people are the means by which God's gospel will spread to all the nations, then a prayerful longing for the kingdom to come is a prayerful pleading for God to work in his people. That God will do something in and through us, brothers and sisters. The global worship of Jesus requires a global gospel witness. And this global gospel witness will come from very ordinary churches. But these churches will be absolutely captivated by the gospel. The message of Christ crucified and risen will be their greatest joy. And it will be the fuel for everything they do. And when this happens... When the loving sacrifice of Jesus is at the center of our corporate life, we will be quick to sacrifice whatever is necessary for the gospel to get where it's needed most. Listen to the way Paul explains this necessary chain of events. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for the success of the gospel, right? That's what we've said already. Now, how is the gospel getting to the places where it needs to be successful? Again, this happens when gospel-embracing, gospel-loving churches send out gospel heralds. The gospel gets where it needs to go when people are sent. The call to every believer and every believing church is to participate in this God-initiated missionary endeavor. So our chief task in life 
And by our, I mean every person here who claims the name of Christ. Our chief task in life is to glorify God by making disciples who will glorify God. Now, some of us will do this primarily in our homes. In fact, there are mothers who will labor to bring their children to Christ over the course of 20 years, just as fervently as any pastor or missionary on the planet. Some of you will work more broadly to make disciples in your neighborhood. Some of you will be used by God to make Christ known in your workplaces. There are even those among us who have been called, and more of you will experience this calling, to take the gospel to the nations, to people and places thousands of miles away. But here's what I want you to get this morning. Here's where it all starts. This global worship of Jesus, it all starts on our knees in prayer. It starts on our knees in prayer. So Redeemer family, we want to get back to the basics. So let's commit to pray. Let's commit to pray for God's kingdom to come. Let's each commit to ask the Holy Spirit to work in us. I need to ask the Holy Spirit to align my heart with the heart of God and to align my desires with the desires of God. Now here's just one way we want to help you do this. This morning we have printed up a, a small booklet that looks like this. A small booklet with each of our global partners, with each of our sister churches in the area, and with several local ministries that we have partnered with. This little booklet will help us all get specific in our praying. And I hope you'll use it every single day. It fits perfectly into the cover of most Bibles. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we can pray for the success of the gospel in South Asia and Ethiopia and Ireland and the Pacific Islands. We can pray for the success of the gospel in and through other gospel preaching churches in our area. We can pray for the success of the gospel through ministries serving survivors of domestic abuse and women in the midst of crisis pregnancies and those who feel hopeless and helpless in broken relationships. Brothers and sisters, don't ever believe the satanic lie that to pray is the very least you can do. Think about this. Jesus seems to think prayer is a big deal. He practiced it, he commanded it, and he gave clear instructions for how to do it well. I don't know what more Jesus could have done to communicate to us that prayer is vitally important. 
prayer is not the least we can do. Prayer is an act of profound worship. And prayer is an act of cosmic warfare. Spurgeon reminds us, my own soul's conviction, he says, my own soul's conviction is that prayer is the grandest power in the entire universe. That it has more omnipotent force than electricity, attraction, gravitation, or any other of those secret forces which men have called by names, but which they do not actually understand. Spurgeon says prayer has a palpable, true, sure, and invariable influence over the entire Universe, oh, to think of this, that you, a puny man, may stand here and speak to God and through God may move all the worlds. Brothers and sisters, our desire for Jesus Christ to be worshiped globally begins with the disciplined commitment to pray. We must pray. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying for Jesus Christ to be worshiped globally because he alone deserves it. And I suspect that if and when we commit ourselves to this kind of prayer, we will be shocked at the fruit it produces. I've shared with you before a little bit about Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar, in the early 1800s. When Judson left for Burma, it was totally unreached. There were no known believers. None. He spent 38 years preaching the gospel to the Burmese, during which time his father died, his brother died, his first wife and then his second wife died, and he lost six of his 11 children. At one point, Judson amazingly wrote, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated suffering." Friends, was it worth it for Adoniram Judson to spend his life in Burma? What was so important that it would motivate him to endure such pain and loss? Well, back when he was preparing to initially leave for Burma, he wrote a letter to the father of his first wife, Anne. In it, he asked for her hand in marriage but wanted her father to know what he was agreeing to. So this is what Judson wrote to Anne's father. I have now to ask, Judson writes, whether you can consent to part with your daughter 
early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Friends, again, when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we are asking that the people of God will take the gospel of God in the power of the spirit of God to the nations so that those who come to faith in Christ will be eternally glad in God. So I asked you a couple of minutes ago, if Judson's life of sacrifice given wholly to the global worship of Jesus, was worth it. Well, let you decide. When Adoniram Judson set sail for Burma, the Burmese were, as I mentioned before, a totally unreached people. Today, today Operation World estimates the Myanmar Baptist Convention, which Judson started, has 3,700 congregations with 617,000 members and almost 2 million people attending. Friends, remember that this kingdom we pray for, that we long for, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying that the gospel will be preached boldly, that the gospel will be displayed publicly, that Jesus Christ will be worshipped globally, and finally, that ultimately God will reign perfectly. What I'm getting at here is that while we are living in the already stage of God's kingdom, we long for the kingdom to fully come which is really what the second part of Matthew 6.10 is all about. Look at the text with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will now being carried out in heaven? Well, perfectly. With the absence of sin, heaven is a place of perfection. God is reigning without interference or opposition. 
beautifully expressed in some of the songs we sang earlier. Now, we know that this perfect reign of God on earth is not possible until Christ returns, but I, I want you to consider one implication of this verse for us right now. One, I, I think, clear implication of the second half of verse 10 is that we should be praying for Christian faithfulness. We should be praying for Christian faithfulness. Jesus instructs us to pray for God's will to be done on earth. Practically, this request entails the people of God walking in obedience to the word of God. So we must pray for Christian faithfulness. Generally, we should be praying for churches and for fellow believers to walk according to the will of God, which means what? To walk in faithful obedience to the word of God. Specifically, we should be asking God to keep this church faithful. And we should be pleading for the grace that we each need to walk in obedience to the word of God. We know that God's will is tied to his word. If you want to know God's will, read and obey his word. Or as Stephen Lawson once quipped, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, read your Bible out loud. But when we when we pull together, I hope I can make this clear, when we pull together much of what we've talked about and we, we sort of fuse it together with this verse, Matthew 6.10, here's what I think it's saying in part. Glimpses of the kingdom of God in the midst of this fallen world are not primarily seen in Christian celebrities, massive conferences, and megachurch ministries. Glimpses of the kingdom of God are primarily seen in daily acts of biblical faithfulness. Carried out by totally normal, even somewhat boring Christians. Right? The kind of Christians described in the Beatitudes. Humble, meek, kind. By any definition the world would give, that is boring. And unfortunately, much of the Christian community is bought into this delusion as well. But this is what Jesus is emphasizing Right? We're trying to pull a lot of this together. I think this is what Jesus is emphasizing in the verse that we've referred to numerous times throughout this study, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this past week, more information was revealed about the horrifically wicked actions and lifestyle of Ravi Zacharias. What has been revealed should grieve our hearts. 
Countless women and families have been deeply hurt, and numerous followers of Jesus are now terribly confused. But Redeemer family, please hear this. While the evangelical world tries to make sense of another fallen celebrity, do you know who will not be affected at all? Your neighbor who desperately needs Jesus and needs you to realize the eternal significance of your normal life of joyful obedience to the word of God. Yours is the Christian life they see every day. And you are the glimpse of the kingdom they can't ignore. So don't despair when another big name Christian falls. Grieve, certainly, but don't despair. The advance of the kingdom has far more to do with tens of thousands of unflashy, everyday Christians who will pray for and work toward biblical faithfulness over a lifetime. So stay focused and don't underestimate the impact of your boring but faithful life. So the final statement of verse 10 alludes to the present evidence of the kingdom of God. Christians walking according to the will of God. But it also most certainly directs our gaze forward, doesn't it? Look at the text again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One commentator explains precisely how this verse directs our gaze forward. He writes, we should be anticipating the day when all sin and evil and wrong and everything that is opposed to God will finally be routed. It means that we should have longings in our hearts for the time when the Lord will come back again when all that is opposed to him shall be cast into the lake of burning and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of our Christ. Friends, there is coming a time just as sure as we are meeting here this morning when God will establish his consummated kingdom and he will reign over his glorified people in perfect holiness forever. This is where everything is headed. And this kingdom is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Right, this is John's glorious vision recorded in Revelation 21, and it's happening. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Think about it. There will be no sin and death ever again. No struggle with dishonesty. No more lust. No more anger. No more abortion or poverty. No more slander. No more sexual perversion. No more child abuse. There won't be divorce. There won't be orphans. There won't be wars. There will be no more cancer. No more heart disease. And there will never be another goodbye. Friends, do you long for this day? And do you long to see as many people as possible swept up into this glorious reality. Do you pray for this? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray.